0: back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. Today is June 20th, Sunday. I am your host, Richie. Joining me as always is Matt. And today we have a special guest, Reed Martin, who is a co-mate of ours in this league. We've talked about him and his team briefly on this podcast. Uh, we'll bring him in, ask him how he feels about his team in the league. And then we'll go over some injuries and the new substance rule MLB has placed we'll go over some prospect updates we'll go over the hottest players at each position over the last two weeks and then we'll finish up with some streamers and pickups but first let's welcome our guest reed martin reed how are you doing
1: hey guys doing good pleasure to be here appreciate you guys having me on today
2: yeah you're doing damn well after oh. you beat richie's ass this week
0: someone had to take down the king
2: <laughs> he is the king isn't
0: he <laughs> for, for for the listeners, I was undefeated ten and zero before playing Reed this week. I dealt with some injuries, and so did he. But he ended up beating me. I think by like thirty or forty points. So congratulations, Reed. I look forward to trying to take you down in the playoffs. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But let's get started. Um, big news is. Tyler Glass now has a UCL tear um, partially. He has been placed on the 60 day IL. He is one of your top tiered pitchers. Reed, what are your thoughts and feels on this injury? Yeah, honestly, guys, this was a huge blow for
1: my team this week. Um, I think you guys would agree that he was probably my first or second most dominant pitcher on my team this whole substance rule change has really shaken i know all of our teams on the call but especially a couple of guys on mine like glass now going out like bauer i think everyone has a little bit of nervousness coursing through their veins right now on trevor bauer and remembering his 2019-2018 seasons where he has a three era plus and wondering if he's going to be able to hold form to what he's been doing so far this year and last i know he just brought up his um his performance this week but you know he showed flashes in the past and they haven't always continued on that front but on the glass now side i read his excerpt and his interview on really appropriating his injury against the substance ban within the mlb and he came forward said that he used sunscreen and rawson and going to nothing really changed everything about his delivery um, and attributed to his last two starts and the injury itself. So super disappointing on my side. Um, I hope he's gonna come back late August, September, but I'm sure his innings will be capped, especially knowing the Rays and their cautiousness with a lot of their pitchers. Uh, so I am really just gonna be shopping prospect value going forward and trying to bolster some you know top 40 pitchers, if I can even get that, uh, to really help my team for the playoffs.
0: So, so that leads into our next question is kind of in the league that we're in, we obviously talk about our dynasty league quite a bit, but how do you generally like to structure your team? Obviously you just outlined kind of what your plans are with Glasnow, but as a general overview, what do you like to do?
1: Yeah, so the the last two years, I would say, have been my main competitive windows in the league. I've dealt with some pretty big blows in the past, like putting a lot of my chips uh, on Jose Fernandez. And obviously with him dying. I know Matt mentioned (laughs) boat accidents this past uh, week's podcast, you know, being a, a big factor for some teams. That one would have been mine, guys, for anyone listening. But really my approach... To this particular league, dynasty point format and really having our structure based on 10 points per win, seven per quality start, has been to jam-pack my lineup with top-tier pitchers and really get the big-name prospects when and where I can. Now, I know that's easier said than done, and not everyone has the roster space. But, for example, last year, heading into the All-Star break and some of the uh, Matt Give me the uh, the proper name for this, but more so like the rookie showcase um, coming up for that, or the prospect showcase for the MLB, where Nate Pearson was just about to pitch. A few games prior, he was lightening up in the minor leagues, and so I was like, if as soon as these guys see him in that that game and see him pitching over a hundred, people are going to try and be scooping him up. So I got him there with the sole intention of not getting too emotionally. Uh, ingrained with any of those guys and using them for my for my trade chips going forward. So just adding those little pieces, really all-star break onward um, and using those as my trade chips from that point on. Because uh, everyone in our league is desperate for pitching. I personally think the three of us have a bit of a monopoly on the league on that front. I know that may not remain forever, but at least right now it um, helps lend a lot of confidence for us as we're going into drafts and you know trying to move our pieces around if you will throughout the season
2: yeah and that that futures game that you were um, referring to is always such a great gauge for talent because these double AA, a triple a and sometimes single a high single a players are invited to this game from the international side as well as the domestic side and they get to face each other so you finally get to see if the guy is blowing players away away like nate pearson was OK, this guy is going to come up to the majors and at some point he'll be a dominant pitcher because if he's already dominating his peers, eventually those peers will be the marketplace or the overall market in Major League Baseball. I think you picking up Pearson was at the perfect time because he did have such a good showing there. Reed, you through the years have built a very deep pitching staff. You had a lot of depth this season, this offseason. You kind of chose to trade away a little bit of that depth for more solidified pieces Uh, talk a little bit on your depth strategy of the past and kind of what made you want to go, I'd say all in this year. And how do you feel about kind of repositioning that depth moving forward?
1: Yeah. So like you said, man, in the past, it was always to have a a deep bench with at least two guys I could slot in if they had a good uh, matchup or double starts on the week that I could comfortably slot them in and really just have the rest of my bench primarily on those prospects. And Coming into this year, as I said, I think I'm in a a window right now to actually compete further on into the playoffs. And so I did opt to go all in. And I think you guys talked about in the last couple of podcasts around the fact that like this year and, you know, even last year, it's really tough to gauge where some of these prospects are at. They didn't get obviously any some of them got no time last year. And some of them got very little uh, to bolster their arms and get their innings beneath them so they could actually be valuable once they hit the majors. And so realizing the landscape in which we're playing at the moment really kind of shifted my perspective on building that deep bench because we're in a dynasty format where we get to keep the players on a four-year contract after the initial. And in my perspective was there what. I didn't have anyone on my team that I would be willing to franchise at the end of that period and that I, would, that I thought would be performing where I could slot them into my lineup and lock them and set them and forget it uh, within the next two years. And so there are plenty of managers within our league that still have that mindset where they can pick up these prospects and hopefully next year they're going to be able to compete. But for us, where we're looking to really compete well into the playoffs, those arms aren't going to do it for us. So I'm I'm trying to bolster my team right now to get those one or two more pitchers in that I can comfortably set and uh, drop in with favorable matchups and just add more depth. Because as you guys saw this week, my team is looking a little bit depleted on that side right now. So I'm going to try and move some pieces here in the coming weeks, especially after the all-star break when people get desperate for next year and they have the come to Jesus moment where they're not going to make the playoffs this and they want to shed some of their heavier weights on their team to open up their cap space for the draft next year.
0: I like the views on the prospects Um, so let's move on to the last question we have for you before we let you go what is your general thoughts on this dynasty league and why do you think it's worked out so well for us and everybody playing in it?
1: Honestly, I think we've developed a lot of camaraderie with uh, a lot of the managers within the league. We've had a couple slots that are a bit rotational, but I think we have a really good set of 12 managers in the league going forward now. So I think that has a lot to do with the buy-in, but our format in moving to you can keep anyone on your team uh, beneath the cap space has been huge for us and gets people a lot more excited about the league. I think the rule change coming into this year uh, about – not having the contract ticker start until they play their first major league game is huge on the prospect end of things. So I'm really excited about that piece. And frankly, for attributing some of the success with some of the top teams in the league over the past several years, I think it comes down to that pitching side, like we touched on a little bit earlier. The way that I at least go into a lot of the trades and when I talk about, let's say someone like Michael Kopeck, right? Where they're like, well, you can't keep uh, two franchise pitchers and one's going to have to hit the market. So I'll draft them then. And I'm sure you guys do the same, but I make it abundantly clear for anyone engaging me with a trade prospect is that pitcher is never going to hit the market. Someone else will have them if you don't, but I can promise you won't we'll ever get them in the draft. And that kind of puts some teams on their heels and helps them understand the you know the power positions of power that some hold and others don't. And if they actually want a guy with really heavy prospect status going in and proven results that they're going to have to pay a little bit more, uh, you know, to set themselves up for the future, not just on you know, prospects that, you know, may not come up for another year or two. Some of the, like you guys talked about last week, those B-level guys that, yeah, we wish we could roster, but we can't now's not the time for that, especially given the, uh, COVID landscape from last year and the lack of, uh, service time and innings that those guys have. So.
2: Yeah, and I think this coming draft that we have, uh, you know, we kind of put our league on pause last year. We made a lot of, um, like, circumventual decisions to kind of give managers the ability to manage 2021 as they were going to manage 2020 is kind of holding things up a little bit. This 2022 draft is really going to have an influx of talent where we're starting to see guys like Strasbourg possibly enter back into that draft. We're going to see some players that are, are more on the injury-ridden side um, hit that market. And I think this will be the first time some of these league managers really start to understand that there is not a lot of guaranteed talent in the pool. Right. Biggest pitcher we saw come off the board this year was Thor. Still hasn't pitched a major league inning. Next was Charlie Morton. Hasn't performed to that level that we have expectations of. So as you had said, Reed, you know, kind of shopping your prospects or your franchise pitchers that are at a younger age is really the only way to kind of grab that, that depth that you want because the truth is they're not ever going to be hitting that market. You're never going to be able to to really bid for them. So I think that's a key strategy to have.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yes. I completely I completely agree with Matt. And I think what makes this league great is the salary cap and having the possibility of keeping your whole team if you manage the salaries right and just being able to talk with majority of the league about trades openly and being pretty receptive to that. But those were all the questions we wanted to ask for you today. We thank you for joining the podcast. We'll have to have you on more often. Um, so, Matt, is there anything you wanted to ask, Reed, before we get on to the rest of the show?
2: Um, I think there's one last question I have. We'll make it very quickly. Um, how excited are you for Wander Time? Woo! Woo!
1: Wander time is exciting. I saw the update come through today. I knew that'd be a highlight of this podcast. So looking forward to uh, flipping the switch for this tomorrow and hearing your guys' perspective on it. But it's been long awaited and he's going to be a talent in this league for a very long time. So congratulations, Matt. I know you uh, probably were jumping up with joy today. I'm dancing
2: in my chair right now.
1: The last thing, guys, before I tie off, the, the last thing about this league that I think makes it awesome is the pivot to go franchise for both a batter and a pitcher. That was an absolute game changer. Richie, I know I traded you Otani in the offseason. You have him now, but that's a perfect example of how you can leverage those two slots with slotting Otani in a batting franchise position and then leverage them for as long as you need at pitching while slotting Chain Bieber into your formal pitch pitching franchise slot as well. So I think that's a really awesome format that I would encourage any league commissioner to adopt for a dynasty league going forward.
0: Yeah, it is one of the great things in our league. Well, thanks again, Reed, and we'll have you on uh, for future podcasts. Let's move along to some injury notes. We briefly touched on it with Tyler Glass now earlier, but Tony Gonsolin had his fastball lower at ninety one miles an hour rather than 94 and left with shoulder soreness Pretty much all my pitching staff went down with Shane Bieber going on the aisle with a shoulder strain, Max Scherzer with growing tightness. Uh, we briefly touched on this last podcast but Luis Severino was officially diagnosed with a grade 2 growing strain so at least out a month possibly two months. Austin Gomber had forearm tightness and left his start however his MRI came back as clean. Jacob deGrom left with shoulder stiffness. His MRI also was uh, showed no significant damage or anything at all notable carson kelly has a right wrist fracture eduberto mondesi left sunday's game with an apparent injury can't seem to stay healthy josh Donaldson also injured his right calf which has been an issue for his whole career alex bregman has a grade one or grade two strain it's somewhere in between and they do not have a current timetable fernando tatis re-injured his left shoulder on a diving play and it looked bad it looked like he separated it but there hasn't been an official status on that as of right now chris sale is set to face live batter soon and joey lucchese also is out with elbow inflammation so i just threw a lot at you matt a lot of pictures what are your main takeaways and i'm just going to let you take it away with the mlb and the new substance rule so take it away
2: so this was actually an in-depth conversation i had earlier this week um Kind of in regards to, is it the substance? Is it the fact that they played a 60-game season last year? And I am really a strong advocate for it not necessarily being really either, per se. Obviously, Glasnow came out and said the sunscreen and rosin mixture was what he was using. And for that to be taken away so quickly, so abruptly, without Major League Baseball giving these pitchers time to adapt and maybe change their repertoire, how they're throwing, how their mechanics work... Was the reason for his injury and i would call bullshit. uh 2019 i remember again the bar i was sitting at watching the game where he originally hurt that elbow and they chose a very similar approach to zach Gallen of we're gonna rest we're gonna rehab and you're gonna come back it, it may have been the fact that substances were aiding the lubrication of his fingers which was helping take some stress off his elbow but at the end of the day this is still cheating whether it was a gray area or not So for you to blame your injury on this, it's like, well, you shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. So if you can't play without it, you're going to get hurt. You should have gotten hurt anyways. Shane Bieber, I think, is going to kind of wait and be seen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bieber was using substances. I also don't want to throw him in that classification. He's a very good pitcher, but he's been a very good pitcher over the past two and a half years. And as we know, substances have been allowed in that gray area for about four years now, probably even dating back, I'd say, 10, 15 years so Shane Bieber, I think we need to have him come back from that shoulder strain. We really need to see who he is. Max Scherzer's groin tightness—I I attribute that to age. I mean, Max is great; he has far and away outperformed my expectations. But a groin injury, his groin tightness—he's old. You know, that's something to be expected with a pitcher of his, of his age. Severino just very unfortunate. I think maybe he didn't stretch enough. Uh, a grade two groin strain is pretty severe, definitely painful for some of the teams that were expecting him to come back by the start of July and provide a big boost to their rotation. Richie, you and I obviously roster him in one of our leagues. That was our goal, have him and Thor come back and provide this dominant pitching staff in the second half. Austin Gombeer, not sure if it's necessarily substance-related, but it is definitely usage-related. Uh, usage this has been the most Austin Gombeer has pitched all the way back to his minor league career, and he did just come off an eight-inning performance a few outings back. I think that has to go into it. And then finally wrapping up Jacob deGrom, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, it's always concerning when the best pitcher in the game, the best pitcher of our generation is having injuries, but deGrom seems to come back very quickly from these injuries, and I expect him to be to be okay. Worrisome, though, moving forward, because deGrom is, I think, 33. So he's kind of getting up there as well. He does have more of a lively arm. Like We've spoken on that in the past. Being a college shortstop kind of has saved some years, so... We'll see. What do you think, Richie? What are one of these, one or two of these guys that really concern you, and how do you feel the substance is going to change baseball moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of these players who are injured, I don't know if it's necessarily substance as much as it is kind of hatred towards towards MLB right now, kind of, hey, I got injured, so I'm just going to you know, use the excuse as it was substance. So this is why you shouldn't have taken it away kind of a thing. I don't agree with the MLB that they just bring down this rule mid-season. I think it's something that should have been implemented in the off-season. I do think it throws off the routine of the pitchers, regardless of you considering it's cheating or not cheating. But for Tyler Glasnow to say the reason why I tore my ucls because i went cold turkey a couple starts ago and i had to overcompensate for it i i I agree with you i'm calling bullshit however i am more so looking at some of these players who are seeing noticeable drops in their spin rate and the performances are affecting them and i'm going to put you on the spot but Nola had a horrible start on saturday but the previous start when this rule was announced he had a phenomenal start so i don't know if it's necessarily substance abuse for him i I didn't know if he necessarily was a user of it but i'll just go over his stat lines on june 13th he went seven and two-thirds against the yankees only three hits no earned runs one walk with nine strikeouts and got the win but then on the 19th against the Giants, he went two and a third, six hits, six earned runs, three walks, and a strikeout. So completely two different things. I don't know if it's attributed to substance abuse or substance use, I should say, but also Zach Wheeler, he was phenomenal up until this point. He was going seven, eight, nine innings, and he was just striking everybody out. He has that 99 mile an hour fastball, but now you look at his last start and it wasn't all that great. What are your takeaways here, Matt, and what do you see from these players who aren't injured because of substance use, but are starting to see some differences in performance?
2: Well, I really like the fact that you threw Zach Wheeler out there. Um, Zach Wheeler is actually my guaranteed injury moving forward slash loss of performance. I spoke about him on a different podcast earlier this week in depth, so I'm going to rattle off just some of the numbers I still have in front of me from that conversation. Zach Wheeler from 2018 to 2019 had a 3.65 ERA. Again, a 3.65 ERA. That was, I think, 58 to 60 appearances. So he had stayed healthy in 18 and 19. He then went to Philadelphia and signed, if I remember correctly, a 116 million dollar four year deal, maybe a five year deal. And the Phillies at the time, from a market standpoint, were overpaying for Zach Wheeler. You know, he wasn't an ace yet. He wasn't this dominant factor that he is today. And now, lo and behold, from 2020 to 2021, as of April 11th, I don't have his stat line all the way up to today, but in that time period, he had a 2.83 ERA. That's .80 difference in change in ERA. Now, over his last five starts this season, not including his start this week against the Dodgers, he had pitched 36 and two-thirds innings with 56 strikeouts, five walks, and 21 hits. That's just truly incredible. Now, fast forward to his pitching against the Dodgers this week, six innings, mind you, the lowest amount of innings he's had in his last six starts, five hits, the most hits he's had outside of two of those starts, which were five, four walks, the most walks he has had by far doubled. He had two walks in all of his other five appearances and six Ks, his least amount of strikeouts. That screams to me that he was using substances i'm going to go back look at his spin rates look at the things that he's been doing i'm guessing the spin rate's going to be down i expect zach wheeler rest of season to have a 3-5 era now mind you that giants or that dodgers start he didn't allow a run but he was facing a triple a offense with mookie Betts, who was as cold as ice so i think zach wheeler moving forward is going to be the biggest proponent of this he's going to take a huge hit I think corbin burns no pun against you richie it's i know he's rostered on your team i think corbin burns falls off the planet i think he's going to sit around a three five four era the rest of the season his cutter just didn't move the same Um, he wasn't able to locate on the outside corners at all against colorado he gets a slight pass because he was against the rockies but slight passes only last so long he goes back to milwaukee or he goes to cincinnati and he performs like this it's going to be great concern Woodruff Peralta as well. Milwaukee was obviously using pretty heavily with all of their starting pitchers. And then beyond that, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, right? The names that we're used to. Um, Aaron Nola, as you had said, I don't know. Aaron Nola is an odd year guy. Every odd year, he has a good season. Every even year, uh, or maybe it's the other way around, even year, he has a bad performance. And I really just think Aaron Nola is going to have to kind of continue to go through the year and develop. But I'm going to be watching pitchers very differently the rest of this season because the guys that continue to perform are going to be the guys that are highly valued going into next season. The guys like Woodruff and Burns and Peralta, you know, they're going to lose some of that value that they had in my opinion. But just to wrap this, Zach Wheeler, I'm expecting either a shoulder or a lat injury in the next month or a significant drop in performance. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I like everything you said there. I agree completely. Other than Corbin Burns, I do think he is going to come back to earth, but I don't think he's going to fall off the face of the earth. (laughs) I don't think he's going to have a sub-two ERA, but I do think he'll sit more closer to the threes, maybe have a little bit less strikeouts. I do think he still has command of it. It's just not as great of a swing and pitch, but it's still going to be in the upper echelons. I think we're going to see some of these pitchers who lean on their – Lower spin rates, pitches like curveball, sinkers, those types of pitchers like a Kevin Gosman, Julio Urias, off the top of my head, those are going to be the ones that should be able to sustain this change in MLB because their best pitches are slower spin rate pitches, anyways. So they shouldn't have any um, issue with those transitions. But let's move on to some prospect updates. The first one you mentioned before. It is Wander Franco time. He is getting called up before Tuesday's series for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm curious to see who he replaces. Who do you think that's going to be, Matt? And then we'll get into some of our other prospects.
2: I wouldn't be surprised to see Wander uh, kind of bounce around the diamond, play a little short, play a little second, play a little third. But at the same time, he's a shortstop. Like This is the opportunity for them to put him in, get him comfortable in his position. I also think if they're calling him up, this means that they're going to and are ready to play him on a regular basis. So I expect if he's playing on a five-game stretch throughout the week, a six-game stretch, see him in there about 90%. He may take one one day off, you know, every two weeks, but you're not going to burn a year of Wander Franco's service time if you're not ready to put him in. And frankly, he's ready. He is absolutely destroying AAA. He started off a little bit slow this year and slow for Ronda Franco was hitting like 270. So boo hoo. But I truly expect to see him kind of spark some life into that Ray's lineup, which is already finding a way to score some runs. But in Tropicana, he's going to have a lot of fun. I expect to see plenty of triples. My big question with Wander is are they going to allow him to kind of grease the wheels? Are they going to allow him to steal bases? Because he's at that young age where the speed is still there. That can be a really big piece to the Tampa Bay offense. And in Categories League, he really becomes that five-tool player then. That is my biggest question about Wander Franco. I think rest-of-season Wander Franco is a top-12 shortstop. Um, I would have to look at my rankings and see. Guys, obviously, like Carlos Correa, you know, Trey Turner at the top of that. I think Wander Franco has the same tools and can develop into that. But he can be a poor man's Trey Turner rest-of-season.
0: I like it. I agree. I'm excited to see everything that he has coming, and we'll find out on Tuesday. The next player I want to talk about has uh, sparked um, some nerves, if you will, uh, for you this past week. (laughs) It is Vidal Brujan, and I also have some mixed feelings on him. I, earlier this week, proposed a trade to one of our league mates for Joe Adele which at the time I thought was uh, a fair trade offer. Um, Joe Adele hits lots of home runs, but we all know that he can't hit the off-speed stuff and has been striking out near 40%. But Vidal Bruhan also has been batting, what was it, 250 over the last month or 220 or something like that. But over the last two days has gone five for 10 with two home runs, a double, four runs, and two RBIs. You and I had a brief conversation about this off the air of, you were ready to move on, he's not worth rostering, and I advocated for him, maybe because I had him on my team, or maybe just because I believe in it, but I said, you know, everybody goes through rough stretches, and he is currently in a rough stretch. And if it continues for another month, then maybe he has been figured out, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I argued that Wander Franco also started the year off very slow, but now is heated up. And you argued, well, that means he's progressing and adjusting. So after seeing what he's done in the last two days he's found his power stroke do you think he's adapted to the pitchers after they found some holes and now he is figuring it out or what are your general takes on this are you still done with vidal brujan
2: yes so as you kind of alliterated on um we did have some a little bit of a disagreement in this and kind of a, a side conversation here was my frustration with the trade wasn't that it was an unfair trade you know per se i view first and foremost Vidal Brujan as a categories league only player. Now, why? On base percentage, batting average per chance, and still in bases. And the conversation that we had, I had pulled you Luis Urias's numbers from 2019. This was the player that I had talked to you about in representation of the power, right? Because Luis Urias in the minor leagues in 2019 flashed a lot of power as well when he was still in the San Diego Padres organization and it got at least me and I think you back then very excited that Luis Urias could really become a 300 hitter with power in the major leagues much like we've seen from Jose Altuve and then lo and behold Urias gets to the major leagues and that power has completely disappeared it's evaporated so just for conversation sake Luis Urias back in 2019 was hitting 3.15 his slug was at 680 and he had 19 home runs in about 70 games with 73 total games. So, the reason I bring Urias up is because I think we're seeing the same thing from Bruhan. I think Bruhan is at 23 years old, has really kind of mastered the minor leagues in an, at least a, an approach level. He knows when to swing for the fences, he knows when to shorten his stroke. He's ready for the major leagues, but I don't expect that power to translate. And without that power, I do not feel like Bruhan is a points league asset. I think with the lack of playing time that he would see with the, the Rays is going to be a big uh, retractor towards his roster ability. Now in categories leagues, I do advise him being rostered. If you can roster him in points leagues to trade him much like you wanted to do to a team that actually knew the value of Bruhan, so be it. But I do not think Bruhan comes up to the major leagues and hits 300 with 25 home runs. I think he's a 260 to 280 hitter at most 10 to 12 home runs a year. He's a guy that can steal you 50 bags, but he's got to be playing on a regular basis, and he's also got to hit that 260 to 280 to be on base. So Brujan, for me, he's kind of a wait-and-see. Again, at 23 years old, in any other organization, he's probably up and playing on a regular basis, but I would equate him more to Luis Urias than I would to Wander Franco.
0: Yeah, this is a guy that we'll have to— Wait and see. I think they just need to call him up to the major, see what he's got, see if he can translate it. And we'll see if he's a Luis Urias and he shows no flash and he just becomes a quad I player. Quad A player I should say. Or you know, maybe the power is for real and it develops and somebody who is not supposed to have any power like a Brian Hayes shows that they've improved and it sticks. But moving along I'm just going to list off some other notable things from over the week. Reed Detmers had 14 Ks for the LA Angels affiliate club. Edward Cabrera has come back from injury and had seven strikeouts in his first outing for double A. Austin Martin had a five hit game. I watched every single one of his hits. For the most part, they all seemed like they came hot off the bat, just he didn't have the launch angle. Spencer Torkelson hit his first home run for double A on Friday. Bobby Witt continues to impress. He had a double, a triple, and a home run on Wednesday, and it looks like his power is for real. Shane Baz got called up to AAA. Hunter Green also got called up to AAA and hit 104 on the gun. Tommy John is near, around the corner for him. And Riley Green appears to be heating up. Matt, what are some takeaways from all of these prospects I just listed off?
2: So I'll touch on a few. Um, Austin Martin obviously kind of falls into that Vidal Bruhan bag. He is a little bit older now in the minor leagues, obviously coming out of Vanderbilt. He has that college pedigree. took a little bit longer than we had expected for him to kind of catch fire, and he's finally starting to show that hit tool. Again, with him being in the Blue Jays organization, as of right now, there is nowhere for him to play. Marcus Semien is on a one-year deal, but he is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball for the Blue Jays. I don't know that they're, they're going to choose to not re-sign him. Obviously, we're going to have to see what the state of free agency is this coming offseason. But I think it would be a great idea for the Blue Jays to sign Semyon to another one-year deal if they could. Give Martin a little more time to develop. Give him a little more time to muscle up. Kind of build some strength and start to hit for power. I expect Austin awesome Martin up in the, probably mid-2022. And that doesn't mean he'll be playing full-time. Obviously, they also have George Springer. That would be the next logical position for Martin would be center field coming from shortstop. George Springer, if I remember correctly, is on a four-year deal, but he's hurt about every other week. So Martin could easily <laughs> fall into that kind of like quasi role with the Blue Jays where he gives Bichette a little time off. He gives Semyon a little time off. He plays predominantly in center field. He can move around the outfield. I think we're going to see a really good bat in Martin. Torkelson's the real deal. I was very concerned about him to start the year. He started off just like Austin Martin did. You know, kind of was over swinging. He was pressing a little bit, and then all of a sudden, much like Wander Franco, he absolutely just figured it out in High A. Being in Double A now, hitting his first home run, he's starting to get comfortable. I think we see a very, very quick ascent for Torkelson. I would not be surprised for him to be pushing the big league club next spring training. Obviously, that does kind of fall into the category of does he sign a club friendly extension. Uh, Shane Baz, one of the guys you and I have been very excited about. Uh, our buddy Jackson was able to lock him up in our league. Great pickup. Hunter Green did have, obviously, Tommy John two years ago. He is the, the biggest proponent and the guy that you and I both want to watch over the next few years. You know, throwing 104, as you had kind of joked, is usually a telltale sign of your arm's going to fall off. It's going to have issues. <laughs> but. This could be one of the first guys that comes to the major league with this velocity and can pitch five or six years before another severe elbow injury. Now, I'm really hoping he dials it back and starts learning to throw 96, 97 so that he can pitch really deep into games and protect his elbow. But we'll have to see. Um, and Riley Green is my underrated prospect across all baseball. I think he's going to be one of the best outfielders for the next 15 years. He's just not ready. And I would expect for him to be mid-season 2022, maybe starting 2023 on the big league club. It's hard because he's younger than Torkelson, but he is starting to perform at a pretty high rate.
0: Well, all I got to say is I hope Riley Green is a real deal because before I knew who he was, I got a green Bowman Chrome rookie card signed by him. I don't know what number Green is. I want to say out of like 200 or something. So if he's a real deal, I might have to go get that graded But the thing that stands out to me that you didn't already touch on is Reed Detmers with the 14 strikeouts. This is a guy who I believe only has two pitches, and he's projected to be more of a bullpen guy for the Angels long term. I'm excited to see if he can come up this year. I highly doubt it more of a next year guy, but I think they're going to use him kind of like uh, the Reds use TJ Antone in more of a bulk relief role. Maybe he develops a third pitch, but just for the listeners to be wary of that. Moving on to our next segment, I want to touch on the hottest players at each position over the last two weeks. We know that baseball is all about ups and downs, valleys and peaks, and so let's talk about some of the people who are hot right now. So in our baseball league that Matt and I play in, it's head to head points, but usually that for the most part translates over to categories unless you're counting for stolen bases. So I'll just quickly go over. Um, the top three at each position, and we'll just do some general takeaways and what your thoughts and feels are on these players, Matt, and then uh, we'll move on to the next position. Um, I did bring up five for starting pitcher just because there's so many there, but let's start it off. Catcher, we have Max Stasi followed by Salvador Perez, and then Gary Sanchez, your boy. What are you seeing here, Matt? Is Max Stasi the real deal?
2: Max Stasi is, will and for always be, the catcher I should have picked up in our championship matchup last year. Uh, if I remember correctly, over two weeks, he had 46 points. I had Pedro Severino, who got me negative three. And Stasi will always be the one that got away. But I think Stasi's a hot and cold type of catcher. He's going to be a guy that provides a lot of value for you um, when he's hot, and he's going to provide a lot of zeros from you or ones for you when he's cold. Very similar to what I consider Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall this week hit a grand slam, and I said, okay, Adam Duvall's going to hit about three or four more home runs. Everyone's going to pick him up, and he's going to go cold. But I think if you're in a league where you're desperately searching for a catcher, maybe you just lost Kelly for the Diamondbacks. Stasi would be an absolute great uh, plug-and-play. It's also hard, though. The catcher, as we know, is kind of a black hole in general. So I'm assuming Stasi's probably rostered if he's not uh, – adding him looking to trade your catcher or him possibly might be a good option in a couple weeks here. Salvador Perez is showing us to be the most consistent and productive catcher I think this year with Rio Muto being on and off the IL. And Gary Sanchez, he's hot now. Sell him if you got him because he will certainly go cold sooner than later. That is my take.
0: Yeah, the only thing about Max Stasi is he doesn't play every day. He splits behind the plate with Kurt Suzuki every single, or every other day, I should say. He has only played three of the past six games, so that is concerning. Moving on to first base, we have Vlad Guerrero, followed by Matt Olson, and then you're my boy, Jared Walsh.
2: So Walsh, I have been waiting all season for him to take a step back, um, and he continues. Even after three or four games where he's a little bit cold, he performs, right? And every week this year, he has done that. I mean, this week, I think he was my highest-performing player with 38 points. Matt Olson seems to have crawled out of his average slump throughout his career. I think he's now hitting over 300, or he's hitting right around 300 so we'll see if Matt Olson can keep that up. My expectation is for him to finish below 280. But if Matt Olson has truly taken some of those holes out of his swing, you're talking about a top five first baseman for the next five years. I mean, the power is prodigious. And Vlad Guerrero, we don't need to touch on that too much. I mean, Vladdy is Vladdy. He's incredible. He's probably the best talent outside of Fernando Tatis and Acuna right now.
0: Yeah, I've always had a soft spot for Matt Olson. Just one of those guys who's always had very minor injuries throughout the past few years that weren't significant that didn't really lead to i elston's but could never just be healthy and it appears he is he is batting 301 and has 19 homers he's been absolutely on a tear the past couple weeks if you have him right now i i'm torn if i would want to sell him or if i'd want to hold him I think you just kind of have to ride the wave. I don't think he's going to keep this this up. I agree he's more of a 270 to 280 hitter, and maybe he can get to 40 or 50 home runs, but I, I see him more of as a 35-homer guy. Moving on to second base, first is no surprise. Jose Altuve just hit, like, 50 home runs this past week, mm-hmm. followed by Marcus Semien. And then a surprise person that I saw, Cesar Hernandez, second base for the Indians.
2: Yeah, I think Altuve and Semien are two of the cornerstone pieces at second base this year. I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. Altuve definitely lifted his numbers up this week; he was absolutely explosive. I would not be surprised for him to win an uh, AL Player of the Week if he does not beat out Otani, who also was incredible this week. Uh, Semyon, again, you know, if you, if you've got him, great. If you don't, in second base is a massive black hole for you. This might be the last time that you get a chance to actually go out and acquire him if a team maybe is, is faltering in Dynasty Leagues. Definitely, it would be, definitely would be a good person to have in there. Very consistent. Cesar Hernandez, not much interest there. Kind of feels like he got hot this week, and uh, that can happen with any player over the course of a week or two. And, yeah, again, Altuve, um, definitely changing my mind. I thought he was on the downward spiral, but he's, he's showcasing that he can really lead that Astros team.
0: No, I completely agree. And Jose Altuve was somebody I was trying to acquire in all my leagues that I didn't have him before this happened because I knew there was going to be a time where he gets hot and then it's just too late. That window has now passed. Cesar Hernandez, I think it's just what you said. He just caught fire. It appears he's already starting to cool off over the last two games. He's 0 for 8. So that just seems to be an anomaly. Moving on to third base, we have Jose Ramirez, Matt Chapman, and then Jonathan India. So I
2: just want to circle back real quick to Altuve, um, another guaranteed injury. He will have an injury. It will be either within the next month or month and a half. It is Altuve's MO to get hurt at least once a year, slow him down right as he's hot, and then when he comes back, he's not usually the same player. So be warned. Um, You know, this is obviously me just making a very bold statement, but I do believe Altuve will get hurt. As far as third base, Matt Chapman, one of the biggest hot and cold guys in this league. When he is hot, he is on fire. Jose Ramirez, we all know, first, second-round pick. Uh, but Jonathan India, again, out of Florida, really nice to see him starting to play full-time, starting to really be productive. I want to see some more power out of India, but he's definitely learned to hit the ball gap-to-gap gap. Uh, and definitely going to be a player on the Reds that is interesting and fun to watch. I love the hair. I love the, the fact that he moves around the diamond so quickly with his agility Um, But yeah, if you've Jonathan India sitting out there, not a bad time to pick him up, plug him into the lineup, kind of see what you have in dynasty leagues. I think his value is probably still lower than, than what it should be. Um, Again, without the power, kind of a lack of uh, a desire there, but Jonathan India is a great name to know.
0: Yeah, I agree. Jonathan India is somebody that we have listed as our streamers and pickups for this week later on. I definitely agree. He's more of a prospect because of his glove first ability. Great defender. No pop, as you mentioned. So I'm more curious to see. Ride the hot wave as you can. Moving on to shortstop, we have Fernando Tatis, fellow by JP Crawford, and then Bo Bichette.
2: So Tatis and Bichette, I'm not even going to touch on. You know, we know who they are. But J.P. Crawford, there will be a season, there will be half of a season, there will be two months where he performs like Cedric Mullins, and I'm waiting for it, he's got the ability, obviously being Carl Crawford's nephew, he has that athleticism in his blood, J.P. Crawford has all of the tangibles to put together one really good season, and playing for the Mariners, this young and and up-and-coming team, he can finally be that veteran presence, I'm really excited to see what he does through the next couple of years. I'm not ready to pick him up and start him, though. I need to see a lot more consistency from JP, but definitely a player I enjoy.
0: Yeah I love watching him play but I agree with you there's a lot more talent out there that you can go and grab that has higher upside than him. Let's move on to outfield somebody who you just mentioned Cedric Mullins is number one followed by somebody else you mentioned Adam Duvall and then Justin Upton so obviously the first two are kind of uh, riding a hot streak but what do you think about Justin Upton?
2: So, yeah, I mean, Cedric Mullins, obviously one of the pickups of the year. We've been waiting for him to fall off. He hasn't done it yet. You know, might be an actual breakout season. But we all remember Dom Smith's breakout season. So buyer beware. Um, Adam Duvall, if, you've, if you're picking him up for next week's matchups, you know, he's hot now. You know, Adam Duvall tends to go on these 10-game heaters where he's absolutely the best outfielder in baseball. I don't know if this past weekend was just the anomaly. He might be cooling off. Justin Upton, I have no interest. He gets hot, and then he goes into an absolute massive two-month slump. Not a guy that I will roster because, you know, at 31, 32 years old, he's just proven that this is who he is. He is the old-school Jeff Jenkins. And that's just not a guy that I can have on my team. It's not a guy that I can allow to, like, weigh down my bench.
0: I completely agree. I've fallen into the old Adam Duval trap where I pick him up after he's hit – three home runs in four games. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to ride this wave and then I'll drop him when I don't need an outfielder. But by the time I pick him up and start him, that's when he goes cold, drop him. And then two weeks later, he does the same thing. So if anything, wait till he cools off and then pick him up. Let's move on to starting pitcher. In first, we have Walker Buehler, followed by Tyler Malley, Jacob deGrom, Sandy Alcantara, and then Framber Valdez. You own two of these guys, so you should know everything about them. What do you got for us? So
2: I was actually (laughs) concerned about Malley uh, with the substance policy coming out. I don't watch any of the Reds games. I don't really watch Malley pitch often. Um, I I enjoy watching him, but he doesn't have that repertoire that's really enjoyable. He's more of a, a A zone controller you know he pitches with a pitch mix that you know allows him to control the game allows him to control the at-bats but this past week he really blew me away blew away my expectations obviously six innings in milwaukee 12 strikeouts he had two walks i think it was probably the best performance he's had in his career with the strikeout mark and it's something that we haven't seen in his last seven games he hadn't had over eight strikeouts in any of those performances So Malley, as somebody that you and I have touched on all year, it's a guy that we're waiting to take that next step. We're waiting for him to lower that ERA around three, three, two, five. And he's finally doing that. Uh, If you can still go out and get Tyler Malley in dynasty leagues, go get him. Obviously after a 12 strikeout performance, it's going to be very hard, but he's definitely a player on the rise. And then Framber Framber is doing everything he did last year. In his last four starts, seven innings, seven innings, seven and in one-third, and seven innings. I mean, the guy is an absolute innings eater. Uh, with Against the White Sox, he had a fantastic performance. So again, if, if you've got him in your leagues, keep him in that lineup. He's a must start. And then we know all, all we know about DeGrom and Walker Buehler. Alcantara is an up-and-coming ace that you and I have talked about quite often. I just think he's on the wrong team, much like Pablo Lopez.
0: Yeah, I feel like every year we're always one or two years too early on these guys. Tyler Malley, I was on two years ago. Sandy Alcantara, I was on last no, two years ago as well. So I like these guys right before they peak, and then I give up on them a little bit too early, kinda of like Logan Gilbert earlier this year. Framber Valdez has actually been surprising me. I don't remember him being this good compared to last year. And the thing is, is he's doing it against Pretty good teams. The five starts he has is, are against the Padres, two against the Red Sox, the Twins, which kind of been up and down, and then the White Sox. So it's not like he's doing it against mediocre teams like the Diamondbacks or the Orioles or the Mariners. So that is encouraging to see. His next start is Friday against the Tigers. So if he doesn't pitch a no-hitter, then you might as well drop him.
2: <laughs> well, and he's he's only rostered in 90.4% of leagues in ESPN I would hope that the other 9.6% of leagues are either inactive or, you know, complete jokes of, of leagues, but Fran Valdez needs to be 100% ownership. I mean, this guy's going to be a top 20 pitcher in the rest of season simply by volume. He pitches deep into games and unlike some of the other pitchers you and I have spoken about, he has the proven track record to be able to pitch into the sixth and into the seventh without injuring his arm. And honestly, with having those two months off that he did with that broken finger, I think is really going to benefit him down the stretch. So Valdez, if you can acquire him still, definitely go out and get him. I think in Dynasty Leagues, this is a guy
0: over the next two or three years
2: that's going to constantly be top 20 because of that volume.
0: Moving on to relief pitchers that are truly relief pitchers. I want to emphasize that. At first, we have Brad Hand, followed by Lou Trevino, and then Craig Kimbrell. Brad Hand and Kimbrell, no surprise there, we know they're the closers, but Lou Trevino I want to talk about. It appears he's kind of cemented his role for those Oakland Athletics. He has been on fire, hasn't allowed a run in his last six outings. Um, what are your takeaways, Matt? He's only 59% roster in ESPN League, so if you're listening to this, he may be available. Yeah,
2: good old Lou. Someone always has to be dominating that athletics bullpen, and this season it just seems that Lou Trevino is going to be the guy. Now, I am a little concerned about innings usage, though. So last year in a very shortened season, he had 23 and a third innings. Lou has been pretty good over the stretch of his career, definitely has earned this closer's job with Rosenthal out with that shoulder injury. The reason I bring up innings is because, again, last year being a shortened season, this year there's going to be a lot of expectations he's at 34 innings right now that would put him at about 80 to 90 innings pitched rest of or full season 2021 I'm not sure the arm has it in him and we also need to be very mindful Trevor Rosenthal is going to be coming back hopefully mid-August that's kind of the expectation right now coming out of the A's organization but until mid-August Lutrino is going to be the guy the A's are winning they are constantly in ball games. They're constantly in in single-digit run games. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. I think if you have him, you keep him in your lineup. But be prepared if you're a playoff team to have that quick switch, either roster Rosenthal or go out and get another reliever. Because at some point, I think Trevino will be taken out of that closer spot. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm not so much concerned about the the innings limit with relief pitchers. Um, They're not going those longer stints, so I think there's less of an issue, and if they appear to be gassed, the, the managers can just kind of give them a break, give them, you know, five, six days rest rather than use them three days in a row, so not too concerned about that. All right, let's move on to our last topic, and that is streamers and pickups. Uh, we'll start with some hitters. Uh, some of the ones I have on my radar we briefly touched on before is Jonathan India. He's hot right now. Keep riding it. He's got six games, two at Minnesota and four versus Atlanta. Willie Adamas, shortstop for the Brewers. He has been underrated since coming to the Brewers. I think I feel like we talk about him every week. He's got three games at Arizona, which is nice, and then three games against Colorado abraham toro the replacement for alex bregman while he's out possibly a month you could ride that if you need a first baseman or a dh depending on which league you play in. bobby bradley got called up for the cleveland indians he's got four home runs however it appears they're all against um, fastballs uh, i think pitchers are still trying to figure out what he's got and they're going to find the the holes in his swing. He's already got a few strikeouts, um, but you could still ride it out before he gets figured out. What, what do you think about these guys, Matt? And are there any other players you'd recommend for the listeners?
2: I think Willie Adamas is always going to be the week to week advice we give. Uh, Adamas continues to show that he can catch fire out of nowhere. This week in Colorado, obviously being a very hitters environment, uh, he played very well. He had a game where he literally brought Milwaukee back to victory. Toro has been a guy I've had an eye on for years now. I know you're the same. Never has really gotten that full playing time, and I think that's kind of hurt his development and hurt his stat line. This is going to be the opportunity for Houston to finally figure out, is he going to be part of their future, or is he possibly going to be someone that they move in late July once Bregman's back for more talent at another World Series run? Bobby Bradley has consistent strikeout issues in the minor leagues, absolutely has the power. I really actually ironically liken him to uh, Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana obviously has incredible plate discipline. It's something Bradley has not learned yet, but definitely a guy that I think you could buy low on in Dynasty Leagues. He's probably still two or three years away from providing that top 10 first base DH production, but I think he has it in him. So that's kind of my general feel for
0: those. Yeah, with Bobby Bradley, my concern is, is it kind of reminds me a lot about Joe Adele. Um, except for he can make better contact at the majors. I feel like that off-speed stuff, he's not going to be able to figure it out and strike out too much, and that's what I'm very concerned about. But let's move on to starting pitching uh, and pitching in general. Um, Pretty much all these guys I'm going to list are players that I've actually picked up because I'm hurting at pitching. Uh, We'll start with the double starts. Ross Stripling has two starts, one against Miami and another against Baltimore. Now, he's not the same Ross Stripling we saw a few years ago, but he is decent enough where if he's in a plus matchup like the two he has, I think he's worth starting. Edward Elzele is coming back from the IL with the blister. I'm a little hesitant to start him just based on players coming back from blisters, but he's got a start against Cleveland and the Dodgers. And then some under-the-radar guys, Sammy Long, prospect for the San Francisco Giants. He pitched today against Philadelphia, went six innings, four hits, two earned runs, one walk with six strikeouts. Now, this is a guy who was projected to be more of a, a long bullpen-type arm, but Apparently they're trying him out as a starter so we'll see how that goes. I tried looking up some of his stack cast data to see what the underlying numbers look like but it doesn't appear they have enough data on him so can't really say for sure what it looks like and then the last one I have if you need a relief pitcher and you're in uh, points leagues is Colby Allard. He's been doing pretty good the last few games. His strikeout rate is not going to be as great as he's been performing the underlying numbers say he should be less than a strikeout per inning guy but he's been performing over well but he should give you decent era the only concern is he plays for a rangers team that is not that good matt what are your takeaways on these uh pitchers i just listed off and are there any other players you'd recommend for the listeners
2: yeah i really liked your colby allard pickup i think short term um this is a guy that can provide you some innings He's also a guy, again, that's going to have a double start this week. Is that correct?
0: He will not have a double start. He pitches Thursday against the Oakland Athletics, but the following week it appears he'll be a double start, which is what I was kind of hoping for, hoping that he lands uh, for uh, the following week, okay. just playing ahead of the game.
2: Well, and I think over the next three starts, we're going to know what Colby Allard is. Colby Allard was a higher-touted t- higher prospect coming from the Braves, obviously traded over to the Rangers, you know, hasn't really figured it out yet coming into this season. But his, his numbers are showing that he could be a value pickup kind on of a mid-season here where we are. Sammy Long, I think you ride him until he falls out of either that role or runs into bumps in in that division. Um, and, and Ross Stripling, you know, you got to take a crack sometimes. You can't have better matchups than Miami and Baltimore unless it were Detroit and Baltimore. <laughs> but I think this week Ross Stripling might provide you some value. Um, I I can't say that rest of season, you know, Ross Stripling is definitely a guy that's going to float between rostered and on the waiver wire, but this week's a little bit weaker with double starts. I think anyone that Richie mentioned is, is worth putting in your your lineup if you're facing a really tough matchup.
0: Or if you have players injured like Shane Beaver, Max Scherzer, or Tony Gonsolin (laughs) cough, cough. Oh, is Um,
2: that, is that a little whining? Welcome to the club.
0: Yeah, welcome to the club. Although I did uh, want to mention, didn't you want to touch more on my Kobe Allard pickup and more specifically with who I dropped? And did you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yes. So,
2: Richie, you dropped Lu- Jesus Lazardo, who I have been encouraging you to either drop or trade most of this season. Um, Lazardo has not touched his prospect pedigree that we thought of him to be. He's not been able to stick in the rotation, either because of injuries or lack of performance. I think Lizardo over the next couple months is definitely a guy for people to watch. You know, if there's a little bit of a stretch where he can perform well, maybe get back into that rotation, continue to improve. Maybe he's a guy coming into 2022 that you might want to grab at the end of drafts. But as of right now, in my opinion, he's unrosterable. He's not performing at a, at a pace that's going get, to either get you points or in categories leagues going to help you with your ratios. He looks lost on the mound. He doesn't seem to have a feel for his off-speed pitches. He can't locate his fastball. He's definitely a guy that I think needs to be sent down to AAA, get his confidence back, get his feel for the game back, bring him back up, put him right in that rotation, and see what he's got. I just don't know that the A's are willing to do that with him. But I commend you for finally making the decision and kind of releasing that emotional tie that you had to Lizardo because it's time. And I think he probably was holding holding your roster down because you didn't have as much flexibility.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. And I did try to trade him. I didn't try too heavily, but um, couldn't find any takers nor... Um, would people even want him as a throw-in in our league? He would have been $18 to keep next year. I don't think he's worth more than 5 or $6 even just for his prospect upside at this point. I think it all stems back from his shoulder injury two years ago in 2018. Um, Maybe that's lingering, but just watching him and just hearing what the announcers say, he's relying on his fastball 60 to 70% of the time when realistically his prospect status came from all his secondary offerings. And he's got five pitches to work with, but yet he's leaning on the fastball. And I don't know if he just doesn't feel comfortable with it. He has no confidence in it, but he cannot be a reliable pitcher unless he uses all five of his pitches 20 to 25 percent of the time which is what he should be doing because that's when he is a great player um so we'll see
2: i had two more things i wanted to add just before we wrap this um russ detmers has actually added two pitches to his arsenal kind of uh changing the way that he has his pitch mix he now has a split change and he has developed a slider. The slider is still in developmental stages, but it did get him, I think if I watched the video correct, four of his strikeouts. That split changeup is pretty devastating, so I think that may change the prospect pedigree of uh, Reed Detmers. It's definitely something to keep an eye on because you were right coming into the season, especially out of Louisville. He had a two-pitch mix that was not going to work in the majors with his velocity. But these added pitches, I think, could really change the profile for him. And I think it's something for Angels fans and fantasy managers that roster him in Dynasty Leagues to be excited about. And The last thing I wanted to mention, my last pitcher that I am concerned about rest of season with the substance is actually a split-finger thrower, and that is going to be you, Darvish. I have a feeling that Darvish has been using substances dating back to even his time with the Cubs. And I'm a little concerned with that ability to command the zone. He has had issues after the sixth inning this year, controlling his pitches. He gets to 100 pitches, and he just seems to fall off a cliff. So keep an eye on you, Darvish. If he continues to perform at an elite level, obviously we know he's going to be okay. But next couple starts will be very telltale signs of, was Darvish using
0: I guess we'll find out as the season unveils and uh, it'll be interesting to see how many pitchers are actually still going to try to get away with this and get that 10 game suspensions. Um, But that's all we got for you today guys. Take care and we'll see you next week.